It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. As always, it's brought to you by First Community Mortgage and our guy Ryan Kiefer. A lot to unpack after the Bengals fall 19-17 to on a Justin Tucker field goal at the gun. It has been a strange season in which the Bengals defense has not given up a second-half touchdown yet, but has given up three walk-off field goals in overtime in the opener, then at Dallas, and then today. And in those cases, teams drove the ball on that defense in a clutch time. But it's also hard to point the finger at the defense when the offense continues to sputter in key situations, including which we'll get to, and I'm going to sure we're going to spend a lot of time on, which was the first and goal of the two, in which the Bengals got nothing out of it, and it cost them dearly. Um, Rick, a lot to unpack from what could have been a great win, a gutty on the road, not playing your best win, to not a gut punch loss because you got them coming back to your place. They're only up a game. They're going to lose some more. You're going to win some more. I think it's still going to go down to the wire, but it still had, had a chance to really seize a great opportunity. Yeah, it's definitely not the end of the world to lose at Baltimore, but from a fan's point of view, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because... The first four drives of the game went for 22 yards and they essentially punted on the first quarter and got behind 10 nothing before they started playing. It's frustrating because of the play calling that you mentioned late in the third quarter from the two yard line. It's frustrating because Lamar Jackson was throwing balls all over the place early in the game and gave you a chance to hang around and ultimately win the game. And you just couldn't seize those opportunities. So I, I think going into this game, a lot of people had this marked down as a loss for the Bengals. It's not a huge deal that you don't come up with a win here. But there are some concerning things that come from this game. And in the NFL, you don't always get to choose which games play out in your favor and which games you have a chance to win. This was one that it felt like the Bengals let slip away. Yeah, I mean, you, you took the lead and it comes down to a defense that has been playing great all season and all night and they can't hold the lead um, and give up the, the you know, the, the, the late field goal. But, you know, the offense, you could point the finger that way, too, because it, it just continues to sputter and not be as not only productive as I think we all expected it to be, and we expect it probably should be, but, um, you know, it, it it hasn't exploded the way we thought. They're only averaging 22 points a game, 22 and some change, actually maybe even 23. So it's it's okay, but, but it feels like you should have more from a guy like Joe Burrow in those weapons, does it not? And I know T. Higgins was missing tonight, and I know that it's still Baltimore, but it just feels like they can't get out of their own way this season. It definitely does. You mentioned the three losses all coming on walk-off field goals. Does that say anything to you? It says his team is obviously good enough when it doesn't play its best to hang around, which I think that's it's going to sound silly. That's kind of encouraging, right? That um, they, you know, they, 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 they should have lost in a, in a normal circumstance to turn the ball over as much as they did against Pittsburgh. You lose that game if they're any good by, by 14 points and if you're no good. And the way Dallas – dominated early you know that teams fold on the road like that tonight teams fold on the road like that it does tell me this is a resilient group it tells me it still has talent but there's just that you know you've got to close some of this stuff out and, and you can't keep saying well you know it's the nfl it is the nfl but you know you've you've got to find a way to win some of this stuff and it, if it means getting off to better starts if it means throwing out the script and going unscripted from the start. I mean, something has to change in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely unusual for this team. When you look back to last year, even you had the Bears game last year that ended in kind of a weird, goofy fashion. You had the Packers game in overtime where they're missing field goals and all types of things. Uh, the Jets game comes to mind where they lost 34-31. So 
I mean, they they've kind of been this team that is in a lot of close games and finds a way finds ways to lose a lot of close games over the last two years, but they also found a way to win a lot last year. And, and like you said, you, you got to get that back on track. Does that part of it, the, the fact that you're losing those close games concern you from a coaching standpoint, or is it more of just, look, if you look at betting lines every single week in the NFL, they're for the most part, all one possession lines. So in the NFL, there's just going to be a lot of one possession games and no, you just have to find a way to win those. Yeah, th- th- there are, but um, at the same time, I've got Joe Burrow as my quarterback. I'm supposed to be some genius offensive mind, and I'm sorry, it's just it doesn't look like it's there. Um, listen, I know what defenses are doing now. We all know what defenses are doing now. They're saying you're going to have to check the ball down, and I think Joe's done a much better job of that the last three weeks of taking those check downs, um, not trying to force the ball down the field in, in, in more than the circumstances he needs to, and he got a couple of penalties when he did it tonight. Um, but there's something lacking in this offense, and – I can't point to the personnel other than, you know, it's, you know, you can point to the offensive line not gelling yet. But again, they only allowed two sacks tonight. The running game got finally going when they ran out of shotgun, which I'm not a big fan of, but at least they stayed consistent staying out of the shot, staying in the shotgun and then running out of the gun as opposed to only running from under center. But something has to change, whether it's, um, you know, something schematically, something in the play caller, um, something's got to be different because you can't keep flipping the games away that you, have a chance to win, and you haven't. Well, let's go to the part of the game that everyone's discussing online right now and we'll continue to talk about into tomorrow and the rest of the week. Late in the third quarter, the Bengals have the ball. They're, they're driving into Baltimore territory. They get down to the two-yard line inside three minutes. They're trailing 13-10. to 10. On second and goal from the Ravens, two. they try to run the Philly special, which is essentially a double reverse play where the quarterback leaks out and you look to throw a pass to him. It was totally sniffed out by the Ravens. It goes for a huge loss as Boyd was sacked in the backfield after the pitch to him. And then on fourth and goal from the two, Zach Taylor makes the decision to go for it instead of tying the game up on a field goal. And he runs a shovel pass to Stanley Morgan. The Ravens had a 13-10 lead at the time. A lot of people are arguing he should have kicked the field goal to tie it up. And obviously the Bengals lose by two points. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, well, if they had the field goal, that they win the game. But look, everything plays out differently. Yeah, right. If the but, but if that's that the field goal. Yeah, right. Baltimore then is, is attacking differently on that last drive. And maybe yeah, it's so, a detriment. And exactly. So you can't just automatically say, hey, if you kick the field goal in that situation, you, you win the game. I'm not buying that argument necessarily. And in fact, I liked that Zach Taylor decided to go for it there. I just feel like if you're going to say, I'm putting my cojones on the table and here, here we are, you run a play that you feel good about and gives you a high percentage well, chance felt, to win. He felt and good you, about it. He said well, he felt good about it. But you go down with your best players. This is my thing. You don't go to your fifth best wide receiver on a shovel pass. You put the ball in the hands of your best players. And I mean, what was your take on it? Do you, did you want him to kick the field goal there? Did you like going for it, but you wanted I, I, a different play call? Or yeah, no, maybe you I, loved the shovel pass? No, I, I was I was indifferent on the decision either way. Um, I'm, I'm not going to second-guess him going for it, because honestly, I am I can make a case and an argument literally for both, um, and the reasons why for both. Um, so I, I'm not going to point the finger at that specifically. But I will point to the fact that, that you've been running the ball a little bit better. I know it's their tough front, and I hear that garbage and nonsense. You know what? I'll be honest with you. If you can't punch two yards and four plays in the NFL, then shame on your guys. Then you go to the offensive line and go, you know what? That's on you guys. I gave you a chance to show me what you're made of. You you, you couldn't get it done. Too bad. Um, I, I, 
the trickeration at the goal line is just nauseating. And I know you can say, well, Andy Reid runs the shovel pass. Yeah, he did, and he has, and he does. And A, Patrick Mahomes is really comfortable doing that. Joe Burrow didn't look comfortable doing that whatsoever, did he? No, not at all. Okay, and now maybe he didn't practice. Maybe it was the greatest thing since sliced bread in practice, for all I know. And maybe he looked great doing it, and they thought, we're on to something here. And listen, I, I get, I'm not throwing at any pass to Stanley Morgan down there either. But let's not forget, I will say this, and I'm, I'm going to go back to criticizing here in a second. Biggest two-point conversion of the season last year. Who caught it? Do you remember? I'm assuming you're going to tell me Stanley Morgan. No, Trent Taylor in the AFC Championship. Game, oh, right? yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that was a traditional play where he ran out of the slot. They kind of knew when they saw the defense what they were going to get. And even I talked to Trent Taylor in the summer, did a story on it, where he said as soon as they had the call, he goes, I thought to myself, this ball's coming my way. Um, so, you know, it, 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 they, they did throw to a little used guy in a key spot there. But, no, I'm with you. I'm. Well, was that play designed to go to only him, or was that Joe Burrow making a decision that yeah, he was no, the I think, best yeah, no, guy that, on that's that correct, play. right. The shovel that's pass two was, different things to me. No, that's right. You're right. But the shovel pass clearly was designed for that player. Now, that could have been a T. Higgins shovel pass, right? That could have been for him, and Stanley's in the game because T's out of the game. Now, it wouldn't have mattered because, honestly, I think that pass was closer to Ted Karras than it was to anybody else. Yeah, well, and the other part that has to be discussed on the play was after Lyle Collins comes off the field, he and, and Taylor have a conversation. Taylor was – people were saying he was animated. I think it was more he was just trying to get his attention as Lyle was running by him. But either way, he clearly wanted to grab Lyle and ask him what the hell was going on there. And it kind of made you think Lyle may have screwed that play up Wait. and not been in – position where he should have been potentially yeah. be leading the blocking uh, path for Morgan there after the game. Colin said he didn't know what Zach Taylor was trying to communicate in their sideline exchange caught on camera. And he said, Taylor is a great coach. Yeah, so and, and, Zach, and Zach's answer was we have great communication and we get along. It was it's yeah. It kind of sounds like Zach isn't rolling him under the bus, but he did bust yeah, the play. Yeah. And that's, that's all well and good, but I go back to first and goal with the two. I'm at least going to hammer it once, right? Yes. And, then well, I, and and if you, it's one thing to get cute and try one play, you tr try to get tricky, but to do it twice in the same set of four downs from that close, that's just, I mean, skinny, what are we doing here? That's silliness. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not running a play in which I'm flipping it to somebody who's running eight yards backward to start. I don't, you want to run a reverse down there. That's fine. A reverse can sometimes almost be lateral to where the quarterback is handing it. And he's not nine yards deep. I'm not a big fan of it, mind you. But a, a, a reverse where you're running eight or nine yards deep already, and you could see as soon as Tyler Boyd caught the pitch, he looked up like, oh, my God, I'm dead. Now, you could argue Tyler should have taken one more step and just flung it out of the back of the end zone like a quarterback and lived to play another play, but he doesn't. I mean, but he's not role. a quarterback. Correct. Right. Exactly. He doesn't have that feel. That's right. No, that's right. I, I know I'm with you. Yeah, um, that's why you don't call that. I mean, again, it's one thing to get call one of those plays. I don't really like it to begin with, but to call both of them is just absolutely absurd in that situation. Skinny, it. it reeks of desperation right. and says we don't have enough talent to score down here and that's not the case at that's all that's not the we case that's good players give them a chance I, I, there's a lot of football coaches and an old school kentucky coach god rest his soul um i covered him briefly he was the coach when i was in college jerry claiborne he, he would he would have some gadget plays he wouldn't mind running them and a lot of times he ran them because kentucky was under man but he always had a belief you run those plays when you are undermanned. You don't run those plays when you're better than or as good as. And this team is as good as or better than. So stop with it. Anything else that you want to get off from the situation there late in the third quarter and, and how that all ended well, up playing out? Now, the flip side, too, is, and again, I love this defense. You know me. I've been such a big fan of this defense. You're allowed to keep them down in there. I mean, 
It's yeah. kind of the faith he's got, and you keep him down in there, and you punt it back, and all, all is fine with the world. Instead, they drive down for a field goal. Yeah, that I mean, that's the other part of it. And, you know, I do think one thing that really stood out in this game is they missed DJ Reader. They gave up five and a half yards per carry and really struggled to get stopped in some key short yardage situations. But, but, a, but a lot of that was on the perimeter, though. Well, but not some of those short yardage situations where they got busted right up the middle. I mean, they, I, DJ Reader makes a huge difference in terms of teams even just respecting you up the middle like that. And I I think it stood out in this game. You did, They did get beat on the edge, though, some too. You're right. Yeah, I mean, Devin Duvernay went on the, on the, on the end of rounds and stuff got him. Um, yeah, it's just – it's. It's frustrating that the pitchforks are out again for Zach Taylor. And, I, and honestly, I'm, I'm tired of listening to it. I, I just am. They're not going to fire him. I don't know what you want us to do to hold him accountable. I can't fire him. And me asking a tough question or somebody else asking a tough question isn't going to get him fired. It's not going to get the answer you're looking for. I'll be happy to ask the question tomorrow of why did you not have faith in your in your offensive line to run the ball down on the goal line? I will phrase it exactly that way. And the answer will be the same that he gave tonight of it's a tough defensive front. There's nothing to be held accountable for. It's not my job to do it. I can question it. We can question it. Um, that, that's better asked for front office staff. But you're not firing a guy five games into a season after he took a team to a Super Bowl. Give me a break. Grow up, people. No, and, and I don't think the conversation should be about but is, it is. is Zach Taylor going to be fired or but not. But it is. I, I know, but fans get absurd, and you and I both know that. I do think it is fair to say, and we've been saying it for however many years Zach Taylor's been here now, should he be calling the plays? And I is he good the at question. that? Because that's not just a local narrative that every fan base says about their coach. This is a national thing where, I mean, tonight they were the laughing stock of the NFL there after that series at the no. goal line. And I asked him that very question towards the end of the 2020 season. And he said, hasn't even crossed my mind. So you think him coming off of taking a team to the Super Bowl five games into the next season, it's going to cross his mind again? Definitely not. And again, I don't expect him to say, yes, I'm, I'm going to give up play calling duties because of what happened there. But I do think it is legitimate for fans to be talking about that and criticizing it and wondering what they're going to do. I, I, I do. I got the question on Twitter tonight. What does Zach Taylor do well if he's not a good play caller? And you know, oh, he's I, the, I think he's a. I think honestly, I think he's a terrific head coach. I really I, do. So I do too. But what would you say is his strengths as a head coach? I think roster helping with roster building the way he sees it. I think he's done a great job of that. And and let's give credit to to probably um, Duke Tobin to some of that. Probably to Brian Callahan to some of that. Probably to Lou Anarumo to some of that. They want. Luana Ruma wanted guys who could do specific things, which was multiple things. And guess what? They now have a roster of on defense. They don't got Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson who just did the snap go. I'm going as far upfield as I can to hell with the scheme. No, that's not what he wanted. And guess what? Both are gone. Doesn't mean Carl Lawson isn't a good player. Doesn't mean Carlos Dunlap was a bad. Didn't fit. Didn't fit whatsoever. Didn't want to change the way they did things. Now he's got his guys and look at what this defense has become. Um, you know, I, I think he's really good at those kind of things of what kind of, you know, they've drafted a lot of captains. I don't think that's all Duke Tobin's decision-making. Zach Taylor has a big part in that too. I think he's done a good job of that. But yes, I think it, trust me when I tell you, it is fair to ask the question of, do you think someone else should be calling plays? I'm just going to give you all the answer right now. He doesn't think that no matter how often it's asked of him. And it's not my decision to kick him out of that role. Right. Right. I, I totally understand that and agree with it. I'm, I'm seeing the question right now here that came on Twitter is what does Zach Taylor do well right now? Offense is extremely average with high level playmakers. Defense is all Lou. It's his only value that players like him. 
I would argue to your point, Skinny, of getting the right personnel in place and and guys that are bought into your scheme and understand their role and are willing to play the role that is asked of them instead of seeking personal statistics and, and fighting back against what you're trying to change and implement when you're a new coaching staff taking over. That stuff matters. And also, I'm not a big buzz term guy. You always hear new coaches get hired. They want to say, oh, we want to build a culture right. and that type yeah. of thing. But I do think there was a culture shift from the Marvin era There's to the no Zach question. Taylor era. And I think it was for the better. And I also think things that actually do matter, like discipline, have changed for the better in this franchise. You don't see all the stupid penalties that you used to see nope. in key situations. You don't see some of the dumb turnovers and things of that nature that marred this team through some of their better years where you thought they had a chance and they couldn't seem to get out of their own way. Last year, this was a team that far exceeded anyone's expectations when they had their chance late in the year and, and were able to go on that postseason run. So Zach Taylor does deserve credit for those things, but it's also fair to criticize the play calling as well. No, no question. I don't disagree with that part. So so here's where the, there's a, still some dysfunction in this organization, in my opinion. You don't have somebody ahead of Zach Taylor who's kind of his boss, if you will, other than ownership, right? Well, Mike and Brown's it's, not and it's, and it's probably best for ownership to kind of take a back seat and let him do his thing to some extent because yes. that's been an issue in the past, right? That's correct. But, but there are organizations where there is a defined, a clearly defined general manager, right? And that's the guy maybe in this circumstance that goes, listen, Zach, let's try something different for a couple of weeks. Let's let Brian call the plays for a couple of weeks. And he can kick and fuss all he wants, but that's his boss. Well, Mike Brown's not going to do that. Troy Blackburn's not going to do that. Katie Blackburn's not going to do that. Duke Tobin's technically not his boss. He's in charge of a separate department, so he's not his boss. So I go. that's where you can keep asking this question. But there's really no one to make that decision for him. Now, you can say, well, can he wake up this? He loves calling, whether anybody wants, he loves calling plays. Whether he's any good at it or not, he loves calling plays. He thinks that's, he's got a niche for that and a knack for that. He clearly doesn't, but he thinks he does. And there's no one in the organization to tell him otherwise at this point. So you're knocking your head against the wall thinking this. Let's uh, flip the conversation to the positive side for the Cincinnati offense, which was well, that. They did get the running game on track in the second quarter, and that continued throughout the game. Mixon finished with 78 yards on 14 carries, an average of 5.6 per rush. P. Ryan averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So the, the running backs played well. The offensive line, after the interception by Von Bell, they all of a sudden seemed to wake up. And yeah. I don't know if the Ravens' defense just got soft for some reason or these guys finally figured something out, but – what did you see that got them sparked there in the second quarter and, and really for the rest of the game? Well, yeah, you know, they were playing that two deep zone a lot of times. They were playing a lot of zone coverage and, and they finally, you know, got some runs out of the shotgun. They decided, you know, we we probably did get predictable and let's just let's get some stuff where we're just getting a hat on a hat and find, let Joe find a crease. I didn't think they did a lot of wide zone stuff. I, I, I saw some other things in the running game. It seemed and, like a little more up the middle, right? Yeah, right. No, and, and I think a lot of that was um, – I don't, I don't think Joe's comfortable from the gun. I really don't, but I thought he looked comfortable doing it tonight because there was a consistency to it as opposed to a, a predictability to it. Um, and maybe that's all it took was this one game to finally get things going. I, you know, but Samaje P. Ryan in the past game was great. I mean, he broke a couple of tackles on some short passes, made some great runs off of it. Um, 
and it was a it was a nice combination for those two. And so hopefully you can hang your hat a little bit on that moving moving forward. But it's still not overly dynamic. And right now you're kind of in a dink and dunk mode because you can't completely run defenses out of what they're doing. You you you're playing from behind, so you're looking to take more shot plays that aren't there, and you're forced to take more checkdowns. That's why a lot of these drives are. You know, eight minutes, seven minutes. I think what they have three drives in the second half. I think Rick, that was it. And one of those drives was the first interception. And I understand that fully. Joe Burrow said after the game they had to rely on long drives in this one because that's what Baltimore was giving them. They were playing over the top. But I would still argue that for them to go through an entire quarter with it, where they have what they have in the first quarter, three possessions or four possessions. Uh, in the first quarter, they had three. They had, they had three, but one bled into the second quarter early, and they punted on that one. So they went, they went eleven yards on first play of the game. Then went after that three and out punt. So three more plays and then a punt. Then a strict three and out punt. Three and out punt. Three and out punt. So really, after the eleven play first 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 down of the game, the next four series all ended in punts. That can't happen. That can't be. And that comes off of the script, right? Right. And and that's look, I fully understand it's oversimplified to say you, you got to be more aggressive. You got to take your shots downfield and all that stuff. I get it. Sometimes that's we think we know what we're talking about with this stuff, and it's just not how it works in the NFL. And Joe Burrow said after the game, you, based on how they were playing with the two high safety yep. look and and the zone coverages, they just couldn't take as many shot plays. But I would also argue if you have the ball three times in one quarter and you don't give any looks at all to Jamar Chase, or T. Higgins was actually playing at that time. He didn't play much the rest of the game, but right. he was in there. It, it feels to me like you're doing something wrong. And the reason I would say that, Skinny, is if you go to the possession late in the third quarter that we've been talking about this whole time where they failed to score when they got to the two-yard line, the big play that got them into the red zone and set them up for that, what was it? A pass to Jamar Chase where they got a pass interference goal. Yep. You don't have to complete the pass. They might be there, but if you give a chance, you at least, it wasn't even a, a an obvious pass interference. It was just the ref decided to throw the flag. That happens so often in the NFL that you just have to put some pressure on the defenders and the refs to make sure, even if they, if you think they're covering Jamar Chase well, you got to make them prove it at least once per quarter. I, I, I just can't see you well, having the ball three times and not giving you yourself one chance. Yeah. And Joe has talked about doing that of, of, of just, he said, I've got to try once a quarter to give these guys a chance to go make a play. Cause they're so good. Now you also then lost one of those guys who was so good at making a play. Now I, and then I say that and Mike Thomas made a great catch and run on the one for 30 something yards. Um, it just, it just feels like this offense is just out of, out of sync for whatever goofy reasons there are. I, I've talked to some people. I, I I just wonder if if the marriage of as goofy as it sounds of Zach Taylor offensive philosophy and what Joe Burrow is comfortable doing don't mesh, and they're kind of fighting each other a little bit on it. Um, and and both of them seem too nice to really take charge yes, too. Correct. They correct. both want to compliment yes. each other and say, "Yeah, yes. no, this works. We'll keep doing it." Yes. And it's like it just isn't quite working. I think if Joe Burrow had his druthers, they'd be in that shotgun with five wide receivers or spread out in five wides for 50 attempts a game and the rest of it be damned. And that's fine. Maybe that works. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think that's best. I, I don't either. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's what he likes. Yeah. I trust I, him I, more than I trust Zach Taylor right now because I, I think he has a lot more to do with why they went to a Super Bowl than I do Zach right. Taylor's play calling. Probably but I right. also I also think he doesn't always know what's best either. Yeah, but you know, I think the the the, the Sean McVay offense is quarterback under center, 
run the football enough to create play actions. Play actions create explosive plays. They don't get anything off play action. They just don't. It's a major problem for them. And I'm not sure exactly what the fix is. Although, again, from the second quarter on in this game, it really felt like they kind of controlled the game. They were winning at the line of scrimmage, especially on offense. They were running the ball effectively. They moved the ball down the field. Now, obviously, you have the the drive where you come up with nothing from fourth and goal on the two. But overall, I mean, it felt like they were the better team for two and a half quarters, at least, of that game. And uh, they just didn't find a way to win it. And here's the goofy part of this league. And it just, it really is. And that's why we're fussing over a last second field goal loss where you think it's the end of the world, your team sucks and, and they're not going to win another game and, and all those things and, and fire the coach, right? So you're watching the Cardinals game today against the Eagles. I think it was a 43-yard attempt the kid tried. It might have been a little bit longer than that to force overtime. He misses. Philly goes out all happy 5-0. and If he makes it go to overtime, who knows? Cardinals maybe come back and win in overtime. This game, you know, Justin Tucker, he's never going to miss. But what, what if he shanks one from 43 yards out, right? It, it's a completely different narrative. Yeah. Completely different. It's just that's how goofy this league is. Hell, you watch the Vikings game today. Chicago's driving to tie, and a dude just rips a ball out of a guy's hands and makes a play. Well, and you look around the NFL all the way around this year, you look at some of the records and it's like some of those teams that are sitting there at four and one or even five and oh, you're like, I'm not sure how good they are necessarily. I think they're good, but maybe not quite as good as that record would suggest. And then you've got a lot of teams that were expected to be very good coming in the year that already have two or three losses. So, right. I mean, it's, it's as much as we want to, Early in the season, we want to talk about, oh, the Bengals lost two games and the percentage of making the playoffs if you lose your first two games is this. And it feels like we're shortening the season so much early. It really is a long season because of the parity in the league. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I go back every once in a while. I flip through the media guy just looking at some of last year's games just, just for recollection's sake. And I can remember, right, in fact, I talked about it this week. Jay Morrison of The Athletic and I had talked uh, after, I think it was Wednesday's press conference, one of those with Burrow. And he asked Joe a question, and we went in and asked Jamar Chase a question along these lines of what that Baltimore win did last year in Baltimore. And when we were walking out, I said, I said, I know what you're trying to write. I said, I was going to try to write that too. Do you know they lost the next two games after that? He goes, you know, I, I, I didn't. And so he asked the next day of somebody, I think it might have been Jamar, and Jamar just kind of poo-pooed it. But it's one of those ones where you thought it, I remember writing a column last year when they got to 5-2 and two of Dare to Dream of the Super Bowl. Well, then they lose to the Jets and get and get boat raced by Cleveland before the bye week. And I remember I did a, a show with Lance McAllister, the, the roundtable show, and I kind of laughed at myself for that and go, what a clown I am for thinking maybe this is a Super Bowl year. Well, lo and behold, they, they end up going. That's how goofy this league is, right? You know, at one point they were 7-6 and six and you thought they were dead in the water last year. And then lo and behold, they rip off three straight wins. The last game didn't mean a damn thing. They win the division at 10-7. and seven. It is a long season. We all make snap judgments, myself included, but it is frustrating, and I get that. Definitely. Well, that's about all I had. Did you have anything else that stood out to you from this game? I did not. I, I, I would have loved to have seen if there's somehow, some way, Tucker had to kick a longer field goal, make it, give McPherson enough time to come in and bang one from 56 and just smile across the field at him. I thought that because that would have been he wanted a it. moment. Yeah. I know. When, when Tucker hit that first longer one, they uh, flashed over to McPherson immediately, and he, he shot a big smile on that sideline looking sort of like – I, I hope I get my chance to show him up here. So, you know, he likes that competitive nature no of the question. head to head battle of going against the best kicker in the league right now. So, yeah, he's amazing. I will say this 
<coughs> excuse me, because I wrote it as one of my five storylines of the Battle of Big Leg Kickers. Justin Tucker now, and I tweeted it out. I don't know if you saw the tweet. Do you know what he is in his career now from 50-plus? No idea. 52 of 70. It's pretty good. It's incredibly insane. McPherson, on the other hand, from 50-plus is 15 of 17. I mean, yeah, these two dudes, it's, it's crazy to think how good these two guys are. Tucker's the goat, and this is the baby goat. That's the truth. Well, the like goat. we like we were saying before, I mean, no shame in losing at Baltimore, but... But frustrating. Yeah, it, it is frustrating to feel like you gave away a game that you had a very good chance to win. The Bengals will play next Sunday at New Orleans at 1 p.m. We'll we'll be back here on Thursday to break down our not not just what we missed here in this podcast, but also the rest of the local sports world. Yeah, that becomes a goofy big game because you know suddenly you're going on the road. It's never easy. You know, does Jameis come back and play? And if not, does Taysom Hill get 67 touches and score five touchdowns like he did today or whatever the hell it was? You might be playing Andy Dalton again, and you sure as hell hate to lose to him, and you shouldn't lose to them because I think you're better. Um, but. <clears throat> suddenly two and four would be pretty ugly. Um, so you can't let that, 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 that slide continue. We'll certainly talk about that much more on Thursday's podcast and college football and gambling. And you can ask me a question on any topic that I'd like to answer. Hit Rick up with a hashtag ask skinny anything. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Bengals recap podcast. I'm Richard Skinner for Rick Roaring has been presented by Ryan Kiefer, a first community mortgage.